please welcome Ty. Love you, brother. Oh, wow, there it is. Uh, you know, normally I'm on the other end of that. Uh, I'm the guy turning it on. Uh, well, it's really good to see all you guys here today. I was really praying that nobody would show up tonight, but uh, here you all are. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, before uh, we really dig into the word, um, I'm going to pull a Josh Thompson and uh, just sort of talk about something that the Lord's really laid on my heart. And I promise it, it won't be as long as his usually are. Uh, but I, was, uh, I had lunch with a, with a really close friend of mine the other day. And uh, we went over to Chipotle and uh, got that, that big old burrito, you know, the brick that just sits in your stomach forever afterward. And uh, it, was, it was such a blessing. It was such a sick time. Um, but, you know, I, the Lord really laid it on my heart to ask him something. And, and it's something that I want to ask to you guys as well. It's who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Who are you really uh, being a Paul to? Uh, or for you ladies, uh, Pauline, I, I don't know what, what a female Paul would be. But, uh, but who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Because if you come here every Tuesday and you go to church and you go to midweek study and, uh, and you're like a sponge and you just soak it all in and you're not putting anything out, family, it's a waste. It's a waste. I promise you nothing will be more, uh, more of a blessing to your walk and uh, to your relationship with Father and, and really to your spiritual growth than to grab somebody, two, three, four people, as many people as you can and just pour into them on a, on a personal level. Um, you know, I really believe that, that as Christians, not only are we called to obviously make disciples of all nations, but really having somebody that you're pouring into just really takes your walk to a different level. And the reason is because all of a sudden now you're, you're pouring out into people, you're pouring out into people, you're pouring out into people. And it does a couple of things. The first thing is it reminds you of all that God has taught you. You see, the Lord will teach you something so sick and he'll just bless your life and you'll go about your day. Oh Lord, that was so awesome. What you just showed me about you. And when you go and when you tell everyone that you come in contact with, when you text or call those people that you're pouring into, that you're loving on, that you're discipling, that you're mentoring, and you just, oh, you'll never believe what the Lord showed me. Not only does it remind you of what the Lord has shown you, but it it does something else it empties you of that blessing so that you have room for more. And so you're hungry for more. You're always going back to Father, Lord, oh, that was awesome, but that was yesterday's blessing. Lord, I want to get something new and fresh from you today, God. And so I just want to just really encourage you guys. If you don't have somebody that you're pouring into, a Timothy, a disciple, you need to get one. There's plenty of them in the church, I promise. There's plenty of people that you can grab onto and just pour into. I promise they're out there. Uh, just go up, you know, on the patio at church on Sunday morning and uh, just look. Father, who is it that you want me to pour into? Walk up to him, grab him, just start talking to him. Hey, man, how you doing? My name's Tyler. What's your name, bro? And just pour into that person. Build a relationship and disciple people. Because it's beneficial for the body, we're building each other up, and it's beneficial for you, for your walk. But, um, so with all that being said, we're going to dig into the word. So open up with me to Ezekiel 28, 
And uh, if you read along with the Upper Room Bible study, you'll realize that, well, you haven't gotten to Ezekiel 28 yet. And, uh, you know, there's actually a real funny story behind that. Um, This passage, Ezekiel chapter 28, I went to Woodcrest Christian High School, and uh, and our junior year, every junior has to uh, take a class, a Bible class, uh, that's basically, it's called hermeneutics, and it's how to properly interpret God's word. And so at the end of this class, sort of the final exam, is you have to write a a 15-page paper about a topic. You have to take a, a portion of scripture and just interpret it and write 15 pages on it. It's basically a 15-page Bible study. And, you know, I, I, had, I was reading through Ezekiel at the time, and I really wanted to, to do my exegetical paper on Ezekiel 28. And then I tried to find commentaries on Ezekiel 28, and when I couldn't find any, I chickened out and I said, God, forget it. I'm not doing that passage. You I, I feel like you want me to do it, but I can't do it, and so I'm going to do it on something easier. So a couple of years later, imagine my surprise when, when Robert asked me, hey, you know, we, we'd love to have you teach in, in the upper room soon. Uh, does this date work for you? No, that date doesn't work. I'll be in New York. What about that? No, I'll be in Texas. Well, how about, how about June 30th? Yeah, June 30th. That, that works perfect for me. Awesome. You're teaching Ezekiel 28. And color ran from my face as I'm sort of staring at Robert like, are you, are you kidding me, God? Well, not only did he give me Ezekiel 28 as I was so, I don't know what the word would be. I, I was sort of laughing with God about the fact that I got Ezekiel 28 for the last couple of months and stressing out about not knowing what I was going to teach on. Well, last Sunday, uh, Robert, you know, comes up to me Sunday morning at church and Hey, you know, I, I actually just, you know, I realized, you know, about a, two months after I assigned it to you that it, we're actually going to be in Ezekiel 26, but I decided, you know what, it doesn't matter what he teaches on, he can teach on Ezekiel 28. So, by some random, well, not random, but by God's hand, we're going to be diving into Ezekiel 28 today, and um, I don't know if it's, you know, God's cosmic joke on me or if there's something really really awesome that that you know um he has not only for you guys but for my life in this passage um but is it isn't it that's how things usually work out with god aren't they it's just one of those realities that when you try and run from god you end up doing exactly what you tried not to do in the first place it was a reality for jonah you know, he, he tried to run from God. No, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to do that Nineveh thing, you know? So I'm going to go down to Joppa. But when it ends up happening, well, reality sets in and God says, hey, I'm the boss and you're going to go to Nineveh. And so Jonah went. Yeah, you know, there, there are some, some set realities like that in life. And, uh, you know, our culture, you know, as I was sort of thinking about, okay, reality is reality because, you know, that's, the, the title that, that God gave me for this message, I, I was realizing, you know, our culture is really obsessed with reality. We have this, like, weird quest to search out reality, and, and we've even created laws of reality. You've heard of a couple of them, I'm sure, like the law of gravity. You know, what goes up must come down, you know, a law of reality. Or maybe you studied in, uh, in astronomy the, the law of perpetual motion that basically it it just says that once an object is set into motion it continues at the same trajectory and velocity unless it's interrupted by something 
But as I thought about it, you know, there's a lot of other realities, a lot of other laws of reality in life that, you know, science really just doesn't touch. Things like the Starbucks law, or in this case, the SIPS law. Sorry, guys. Um, the SIPS law, you know, which says that when you go and you order your perfect cup of coffee and you take it with you to work and you sit down and it's piping hot and you're just about to enjoy it, your boss will come in and have something for you to do that will take long enough for the coffee to get cold. Or, you know, sort of similar to it, the Chipotle law, which says that no matter what time you go into Chipotle, you will see someone that you know and probably someone that you didn't want to see in the first place. <laughs> then, you know, there's, there's things like Murphy's Law of Lockers, which if you go to the gym, you know that if there's only two people in a locker room, they will have adjacent lockers, you know, and they'll be right behind you and you're trying not to bump into them and it's just, an, it's awkward. You know, there's also, you know, really, really tragic laws like the bathtub law, which says that once you get into the bathtub or the shower, the phone will ring and you'll have to get out, dry off, try and go and run and answer the phone. And my personal favorite Tyler's Law of Difficult Passages, when you try and ditch out on preaching the word of God, he ends up bringing it back to you anyway. But that's the title of my message today is a few realities, but we're going to be looking at four realities in Ezekiel 28, which are a lot more serious than the Starbucks law or the Chipotle law, but they are that Satan is real, that Satan has real kingdoms established in this world, that Satan can influence men in real ways. And lastly, my personal favorite, God is bigger. Before we dive into the word, Lord, let's go ahead and pray. God, this is your study. Lord, we're here to serve you. God, I pray that you would really uh, be in this place, God. Strip away anything that, that I had to say, God, and give me only your words, please, Father. Because your word, Lord, it, it doesn't return to you void without first accomplishing the purpose you set it forth. Lord, be in this place. God, I pray that your word would, would really penetrate hearts. Father, I pray that it would affect us radically. In your precious son's name, amen. Well, we are in Ezekiel 28, and just a little bit of background before we actually dive in. Uh, you know, sort of what's going on in the background. God sent Ezekiel, our buddy Zeke, to go to the prince and the king of a city called Tyre, and to sort of call him out. Now, we know the prince to be a real man. His name was Ithabal. Um, I don't know about you, but I would hate to be named Ithabal. Uh, but he was actually the second. So there were two people, two kings in Tyre who were named Ithabal. This is the second Ithabal. And Ithabal ruled uh, the city or the kingdom rather of Tyre right around the time that Nebuchadnezzar was in power in Babylon. You remember Nebi and uh, Daniel and, you know, that, that awesome story in the Bible. Well, this is all happening around the same time, just a little bit west in, in a place called Tyre. And so let's go ahead. We're actually going to start reading to look at our first point that Satan is real. We're going to start reading in verse 11, and then we'll come back later and, and read in verse 1. Reading with me in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. We'll pause right there. 
there's a couple of people who say that the king and the prince, the, the lamentation over the king and the prince of Tyre, is over the same person. Unfortunately, we at this point in the passage, we have to go ahead and say that that can't be it because we know that this guy, Ithabal, was not in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of God. We know that he wasn't the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Because that, that describes no man. Uh, the only man, of course, that was in the Garden of Eden was Adam, and he got kicked out. So we have to depart from that way of thinking and, and uh, realize that this is, in fact, this passage is talking about Satan, and it will become a lot more clear in just a little bit. But the truth is, family, Satan is real. Now, as we go ahead and read on uh, through verse 15, we'll get to see a little bit more about, uh, about Lucifer, Satan, our adversary, the devil. Picking back up in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked, and you, and, uh, pardon me, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Yeah, family, Satan is real. Satan is real, and we can learn some things about Satan from this passage. Uh, sometimes we, we get this sort of odd picture of Satan in our heads. He's some guy with red skin, a cape, horns, a pitchfork, and like black, really greasy hair. But, you know, this isn't Satan at all. You know, in fact, we can learn seven things from this little chunk of scripture about Lucifer, Satan. Number one, he was created. It says in the last part of verse 15 that he was blameless in his ways from the day he was created. I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous to to really make a point of that Satan was created, but it's important for us to understand this because we give Satan a little bit more credit than he's due sometimes. See, we put Satan sort of at the, the, the polar opposite of God, that there's this, you know, spiritual war that's going on, and, and Satan's on one side, and God's on the other, and, and they're just sort of always clashing, but it's this ongoing war, and nobody ever wins. You know, like, maybe we don't really consciously think that, and if I were to say that, you would, you know, you would know that it's not true, but sometimes just in our attitude and our, um, just in our attitude toward uh, Satan, we sort of give him a little bit of undue credit. The truth is, guys, Satan was created, and God by his nature cannot create something that is more powerful than himself. Why? Because he himself is infinitely powerful. Satan is created. He does have limits. He does have a beginning, and as we'll see in Scripture, he absolutely does have an end. The second point, the second thing that we can learn about Satan is that he was an anointed or special angel. It says in verse 15, or verse 14, pardon me, in the very beginning, you were an anointed guardian cherub. Satan isn't it's not like God created Satan. People ask me that question sometimes out, you know, uh, witnessing on the street. Well, why did God create Satan? Well, God didn't really create Satan. He created Lucifer. 
in, and uh, Lucifer, when he was created, was a cherub, which is a type of angel. So Lucifer, when he was created, wasn't this evil antithesis of God. He was, in fact, a, uh, an angel. And in fact, the, the Bible talks about him being an angel of light. So uh, God created uh, Lucifer originally as a guardian cherub. Now that word guardian, some, some of your Bibles will say covering cherub. And, and that's a little bit better of a translation. And it seems to indicate that, that Lucifer was not only uh, an angel, but he was in fact actually in charge of sort of covering or being over the actual throne of God. Yeah, when Lucifer was created, he was created special. And, and even it, it seems from this passage, passage that he was favored by God. Not only was, was Lucifer created, but he was an anointed cherub. We also learn, the third thing we can learn is that he was beautiful. It says in verse 12 that he was in fact perfect in beauty. God created Lucifer the most beautiful creation of everything. Now, that's not something that we really ever realize to be true in our, in our little uh, persona of Lucifer. You know, he's always either the red guy or just some really evil, slimy, you know, just jerk. And, and while Satan in his, uh, his I, I guess, personality in a sense, he, he is looking to rip us off. He is absolutely beautiful. In fact, the Bible says that he was the most perfect beautiful creation of God. Like I said earlier, the Bible talks about that Satan can go around appearing as an angel of light. So it's no surprise then that, uh, you know, that, that certain cult leaders would say, oh, I, I was approached by this very beautiful, beautiful angel. And he told me that, you know, Jesus was really one of many gods or that, Hey, you know what? The end of the earth is, is going to happen in, in 1852 or, or appearing and saying, you know, this really beautiful, awesome, glorious angel says, Hey, you know what? Jesus was only a prophet and you need to follow Allah. So it's no surprise that, that we would hear of stories like this because in fact, Satan, Lucifer is perfect in beauty. The fourth thing we can learn is that he had unrestricted access to the throne of God. We see that in verse 14, that you were placed an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Lucifer, when he was created, had unrestricted access to the throne of God. He could go in and hang out and talk with God whenever he wanted. He just walked right up and hung out with God. When Lucifer was created, he had unrestricted access to the throne of God. It's pretty interesting when we think about uh, Lucifer, this, this fallen angel, that we realize that he really had it all. He was hooked up. He was perfect in beauty. He had unrestricted access to go and hang out with God whenever he wanted. He was favored by God and had a very specific, very beautiful purpose of covering or, or being over or, or ministering to the very throne of God. It's interesting. Hold it in your minds and remember that, that Satan really had it all when he was created up in heaven. Also, we can learn that Satan is wise. This is important because we sort of sometimes, not only do we give Satan too much credit, we also don't give him enough credit. 
uh, we sometimes as Christians we can go around uh, thinking that we can bind or fool Satan and, uh, you know, that we're really ultimately smarter than the guy. And, you know, he's, he's pretty stupid. I mean, he was stupid enough to, to sin and, and fall from heaven. You know, he, he's not really that smart. God created Lucifer, it says in verse 12, full of wisdom. Satan is a worthy adversary. And when it comes down to it, guys, in our own strength, we're not powerful enough to outsmart, outwit, or outpower Satan. Things like that only come by God and God alone. Because you remember, it was God who created him. It's God who is over Satan. But that's not our place. He is full of wisdom, guys. And uh, he is absolutely prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking to rip you off and he's good at it. He knows just how to get to you guys. If for nothing else, then he's been doing it for thousands of years. If it worked with Adam and Eve, I promise it'll work with you guys. The reason why his playbook doesn't change very much is not because he's too foolish to change it, but because we're too foolish not to recognize it and we fall into the same snares over and over and over again. He is full of wisdom. This isn't something that, though, you know, sort of a side note right now, this isn't something that you need to go around now being always afraid of Satan. But it is something to be aware of. Sometimes we don't give Satan enough credit. He was created full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And verse uh, 6, The sixth thing we can learn is in verse 13, sort of at the end of it there. It it says that crafted in gold, in my translation, it says, were your settings and your engravings. In the King James, it says your tabrets and your pipes. Some of your translations probably sound a little bit more like that. And again, this is a better translation. These were literally musical instruments. It it seems from this passage, a lot of commentators agree that Lucifer was probably in charge of worship in heaven. He was the worship leader in heaven. You know, as, as Brian and, and Josh, you know, stand up here week in and week out and lead us in worship. That was Lucifer's role in heaven. It seems he was the worship leader. Just a little bit of a side note, and it's completely off topic, but it's sort of interesting that Isn't it always true that the devil's music is always the best music? He knows what he's doing. He's been created to do this. He was the worship leader in heaven. He knows music. He knows what sounds good. He knows what is appealing. So watch out because you never know what he might be doing in your heart and in your mind through music. He knows what he's doing with that. The seventh thing we can learn through this passage of scripture about Lucifer, our enemy, is that he sinned. It says there at the end of verse 15 that you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Let's pick up reading still in verse 16. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. 
I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. What's described here, guys, is the sin and fall of Lucifer. It's also described in Isaiah 14, and I'm going to flip over there and read. If you want to flip with me, you can, or if you just want to read, listen closely. This is in Isaiah chapter 14, starting to read in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the farthest reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this not the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities and did not let his prisoners go home? These two passages describe the the sin and and ultimately the fall of, of Lucifer to be Satan, the fallen angel. He did sin. But what was his sin? Lucifer looked at his perfect beauty, at all of his wisdom, at his status of being the the anointed angel, the, the one who is even the worship leader, the angel that God favored and looked at and said, hey, you know what? You are the most perfect thing that I ever created. Lucifer looked at himself and said, I must be pretty special. And his pride in his creative beauty, he said, I will make myself like God. I'm going to be God. I, you know what? If I'm the most, cre- if I'm the most perfect created being, you know, I, I'm going to be like God here. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in the seat of God's. I'm going to ascend to the most high. Lucifer's sin was pride. In, in really believing that he himself could be as good or as important or as beautiful or as perfect as God himself. The thing about this family is this is so easy for us to believe as well. And it's so easy, even in our walks as Christians, to have the same attitude. You know, it's, it's like the joke. Jeremy's used it here before, and, you know, if you've been... Uh, to harvest Pastor James McDonald a while ago used this joke, but I, I love it because it's so true and it's so telling. It, it's the theology of cats and dogs. You see, a dog will, will look at you and say, wow, you know, I, I come to the door, I scratch at the door, you let me in, you pet me, you play with me, you take me on walks, you feed me, you clean up after me when I poop, you take care of me, you put a roof over my head, you must be God. Cats, on the other hand, are a little bit different. They look at you and say, you feed me, you put a roof over my head, you let me in when I want in, you let me out when I want out. I can leave and be gone for days and come back and you're still happy to see me. You clean up after me when I go to the bathroom. I must be God. The problem with that, though, is that, family, it's so easy for us to to have the exact same attitude as the cat And unfortunately, ultimately, that Lucifer did. We look at all that God has given us because God has hooked us up radically. It's true. 
I mean, look around. We're in this awesome coffee shop. Nobody's coming in to beat the door down. You're wearing nice clothes. You're not wearing rags. You're going to go from here. You're going to jump in your car. You're going to drive back home. Chances are tomorrow morning you're going to jump back in your car and go to work. On the way back home, you're probably going to stop off and, and open up your wallet and get some McDonald's or something like that. Then say hey to your family, hang out with them for a little bit, go hang out with some friends, jump back in your car, fill it up with gas from the money from your job, head back home and sleep on a nice comfy bed. You've really been hooked up. God has blessed you radically. And it's so easy, not purposely, but just sort of our, our, our attitude and our even subconscious to feel like, you know, God's really hooked me up. I must be something special. I must be pretty important if God does so much for me and just always hooks me up and sent his son to die for me because he loves me. I must be pretty important. And you know what? God, God can wait on me. Examine your lives. Take a minute. Take a look. And see if, if this is even a little bit true for you. Because if it is, It's not true. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God's most chief concern is his glory. And as Christians, our chief concern must be God's glory. I love what it says in in the catechism, you know, the, the Catholic catechism, the very first catechism, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically a, a statement of belief. The very first catechism is a question. It says, what is the chief end of man? Basically, why are we here? What is our purpose? What is the chief end of man? And the answer I love, it says to glorify God by enjoying him fully. If you believe that your purpose here is for God to enjoy you fully, and that he's just some really needy person up in heaven who's just pawing to get a chance to hang out with you, and you can just sort of throw by the wayside and, and hang out with him when you want to, and, and just sort of, you know, go do your own thing, and, and from time to time, yeah, you know, pretty much just disobey God and, and say, you know what, I know you want me to, to do this or not to do that, but I'm going to do exactly the opposite. If you think that that that's okay, that that's acceptable, that that's normal, that that is how a Christian should look, you're sorely mistaken. You're believing the same lie that Satan believed. That since he was hooked up, since he had been given so much, since God looked at him, loved him, and favored him, that he could take advantage of that. I challenge you, family, make sure that this is not true in your lives. Really, in your heart right now, just really ask God, Lord, search me and know me. Test my thoughts. Show me if this is true in my life. Because this this has been something, family, that God's really shaken me about. You better make sure, Tyler, that in all that I've given you, You're not exalting what I've given you above me, the giver. And that you're not exalting yourself, the one who I've given to, above me, the giver. 
We need to watch out for this family in our lives because this lie will creep in so subtly and so quickly that we won't even notice it. Satan is real. Lucifer is very real. Getting back on topic. He was created by God. He was created perfect in beauty, full of wisdom, favored by God, the worship leader in heaven, in charge of ministering to and covering the very throne of God, had unrestricted access to God's presence. He had it all, and he fell. He sinned. He rebelled against God in his pride of his beauty. Satan is real. The second thing that, that's important for us to, to take from this passage is the reality that Satan has real kingdoms established in this world. Remember, I, I said earlier that we know that the prince of Tyre is a real man. His name's Ithabal. And uh, Ithabal was a real guy. He really lived. And, uh, you know, we have historical records of his existence. But notice that God refers to Ithabal as the prince of Tyre. He was the ruler at the time. It wasn't like his dad was ruling at this time. He was the ruler. But God refers to Ithabal, the man, as the prince and Lucifer as the king of Tyre. You see, Satan has established kingdoms all around this world, real kingdoms, real kingdoms. It's, it's not like it's some imaginary, hyper-mystical thing. I know it can some off, sometimes come off as that, but really understand, family, this is as real as, as this building is here. We just can't see it. Satan has a real kingdom established here in Riverside. And just because you can't see the soldiers marching here and there, just because you can't see the gates or the moat or the castle or whatever else you associate with the kingdom doesn't mean it's not real. Satan has established real kingdoms in this world, and he rules over them through puppet men. I know you're probably thinking, okay, Tyler, there's pretty much no textual support for what you're saying. So let's go and let's investigate scripture on this matter. If you want to flip with me, I understand. If you don't, I also understand. Over to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to start reading in Daniel chapter 10 in verse 12. I'll give you a quick second to flip there, those of you who want to. Verse 12, Daniel says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first... By the way, I, I should preface a little bit. This is an angel that's appeared to, to Daniel. You can read the whole story in Daniel chapter 10. We're not, going to, we're not going to read the whole chapter. But this is an angel. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Skipping ahead to, to verse 20, then he said, the angel said, do you know why I have come to you? 
But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The reality is, family, there is invisible spiritual warfare going on in this world. If you go to Harvest, uh, you know, Pastor Greg, my pastor, actually sort of touched on this on Sunday morning. I was really blessed that he did in, in light of this passage. There is real angels, real demons engaging in spiritual warfare in this world. And in fact, this angel says to Daniel, yeah, you know what, man? I was actually 21 days ago, I was sent when you first said, hey, God, I don't understand. Explain to me this. God sent me. He said, hey, you go explain this to Daniel for me. And he says, you know, I was sent 21 days ago, but on my way, the prince of Persia, he's, he started fighting with me. And so I had to fight with this guy and we were at each other's throats for 21 days. And it got so bad, I couldn't handle this guy. And so they sent Michael you know, the archangel? Yeah, they sent him uh, to, to shoot down and, and help me out. And he overpowered the prince of Persia long enough for me to come give you this message. But hey, I got to get going because I have to go back and help Michael fight the kings of Persia. Because once I leave, the prince of Greece is going to come and he's going to start fighting too. If this is an angel... And Michael had to come in, step in the archangel, sort of the big man on campus in heaven. If, if these angels were fighting, do we really believe that, that the prince of Persia was a real person? That all of a sudden these angels, these angels couldn't beat a couple of men? No, no, forget about it. This, this prince of Persia, this prince of Greece that this angel is telling Daniel about, these are angels. Angels. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, they're fallen angels, but they're angels nonetheless. It's interesting to me that these angels, this angel tells Daniel, are set up, established in cities. And then in fact, they are the prince or the kings of Persia, the prince of Greece. The truth is, family, is that there are real kingdoms established. Satan has real kingdoms established in this world. And he is really fighting. And he has armies of demons that are really fighting. And God has real angels that are fighting against these demons constantly, all before our very eyes. We just can't see it. This isn't something crazy, mystical, weird, you know, sci-fi movie, you know, like Aragon, or I, I don't know, I can't think of weird mystical movies where just weird stuff like that happens. This is real, family. This is real. Satan has real kingdoms established, and he uses puppet men to rule them. This brings really new light, for me at least, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says that, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This brings new light to that passage. You know, because we, we like to say that sometimes and we throw that verse around. Oh, yeah, you know, we don't fight against flesh and blood, bro- brothers, so be praying, man, you know. In reality, we don't fight against flesh and blood here. We're fighting a real spiritual battle here. And so what do we need to do then? If Satan has real kingdoms established here, if Satan has a real kingdom here in Riverside, and he has his soldiers, these demons, roaming around, doing his work, if this is true, then family, you need to fulfill what the rest of that passage in Ephesians 6 says and put on the whole armor of God. If, this is, if what I'm saying is in the Bible, and if you're looking at me saying, yep, what you're saying is, it, from that, it, it's biblically true, then family, you need, to, you need to prepare your minds for battle. You need to be always ready. You need to be always on your toe because if the enemy has a kingdom established here and he's ruling in this city, We can't be okay with that. We can't be okay with that. You guys need to be on your toes, ready for action, ready for battle, because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. We're fighting against an entire kingdom here, guys. And so you guys need to be ready for battle. I love what what Paul says to Timothy in in 2 Timothy verse 4. He says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one enlisted him. You know, Paul's basically, you know, reminding Timothy, Hey, you know what, man? Don't get sidetracked. Don't get deterred because no soldier going out gets entangled, gets, you know, messed up, tied in with all these civilian duties. You know, it doesn't happen. When was the last time that you saw a Marine, you know, or a picture rather of a Marine out in Afghanistan grocery shopping? It, it doesn't happen. Or when was the last time you, you heard in the news about uh, an Air Force fighter pilot who jumped in the F-16 and took it down to, uh, down to Cabo for the weekend and just sort of, you know, chilled out on the beach there and, you know, shot a couple rounds of golf? Yeah, right. Are you kidding me? Because these men that have enlisted, that have given their lives to please the one who enlisted them, oh, they're, they're ready. They're ready. And they're, they're not getting entangled with, with civilian pursuits, with little, you know, trivial stuff that, yeah, you know, whoa, there's a microphone there. You know, that the civilians are, are, are doing, the, their mind is set and ready for battle. They've got more important things on their minds, and rightly so. If that's how it is with the armed services oh family you guys you guys better not be getting entangled with with civilian pursuits because we're engaged in war here guys we're engaged in war are you or are you just kicking it are you just sort of chilling more preoccupied with myspace or facebook more concerned with how many hours you're getting at your job or, or how much money you're making. 
Are you more concerned with how you dress or what you drive than the war at hand? Satan is real, guys, and he has real kingdoms established in this world, and there is real spiritual warfare going on here. So you guys need to get ready. You guys need to get prepared. You guys need to be always on your toes, ready for action, always, always, always ready to fight. Because I don't know when the last time you turned on the news was. I don't know when the last time it was that you walked on to a, to a public school campus, high school, college, junior high. I don't know when the last time was that you got out of your little Christian bubble, but in case you didn't notice, the enemy's winning on this planet. The enemy is winning in Riverside. His kingdom is bigger than God's kingdom here. I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. I don't know about you guys, but, but I'm not cool to sit back and realize that the enemy is gaining ground and we're just sitting back letting him. It shouldn't be this way, guys. Don't get entangled with civilian pursuits. Don't sit around kicking it and bumming anymore, guys. Prepare your minds for action. Get ready. Put on the whole armor of God because there's a spiritual war here going on, guys. Not only is Satan real, and not only does he have real kingdoms that are established, but he also has, he also has a real influence over men. Let's start reading in, uh, in verse 1 now. We sort of skipped over that before, but let's jump in to verse 1. Ezekiel 28, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. We'll pause right there. Does this sound familiar at all to you guys? Does, does it sound like you've heard someone say this? in the passage of scripture that we've read so far, uh, yeah, Isaiah chapter 14. This is pretty much exactly what Lucifer said that caused him to fall. Satan, guys, can influence men in very real ways by implanting his thoughts onto men's hearts. I know you're thinking, whoa, man, shh, that, that doesn't happen. That, that, that doesn't ever happen. What about the story of Peter who comes up against you? But, but Lord, Lord, what if, get behind me, Satan. Do you think Jesus was just making a, a bad joke? Like, is that what, is that what really happened? Or, or was Satan influencing in a very real way Peter to stand up against Jesus? The truth is, guys, Lucifer does influence men in very real ways by influencing how they think, how they feel, how they act, what they say. This guy, Ithabal, this real man, this very real person, had the exact same attitude that Lucifer had. Not only the same attitude, but pretty much said exactly the same things. It's no coincidence, family. 
It's no coincidence. Lucifer, the king of Tyre, had radically and very real influenced this prince of Tyre, Ithabal. Reading again sort of that that little passage there. Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. If you don't believe me, if you say, yeah, you know what, that all sounds well and good, but I don't see it happening right now. I don't see men being influenced in real ways by Satan. Show me the money. Again, I tell you, look outside. Take a look at our culture. It's amazing to me how much American culture believes this same lie. I am a God. I sit in the seat of God's. In the heart of the seas. You know, it, it, it's. I, I'm proud. I, I, I'm, I'm like God. I, I'm, I'm my own God. I rule my world. I'm my own king. The world goes around and says. I'm the rock God. I'm the God of grunge. I'm the God of pop. I'm the God of soul. I'm the God of funk. Sounds like. Sounds to me like our culture makes themselves God a lot. Satan can and does influence men in real ways, guys. In very real ways. By conforming men's hearts to be just like his. Let's go ahead and keep reading there in verse 3. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself, and you have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. But your great wisdom in your trade, by, I'm sorry, by your great wisdom in your trade, you have, inf- you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. We'll stop right there. Not only does Satan influence men in, by conforming men's hearts and men's minds to be just like his, but I don't know if you guys real, realize this, but Satan absolutely has power to give much worldly wealth to all who will bow down and follow him. We see this perfectly laid out in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus gets tempted by Lucifer. Lucifer comes up. He takes him to this really, he, he takes him up to the top of the temple. And he says, look out at all these kingdoms. All of these I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Satan is referred to in the Bible as the prince of the power of this air and the god of this world, the ruler of this world. Satan absolutely has real power to give people worldly wealth beyond their wildest dreams if they'll only bow down and serve him and not serve God. Why? Because that's the most enticing thing to us as people, isn't it? Fame, fortune, the good life, tons of dough, security. That's what we want. All different names for all the same thing. Satan gave this guy, Ithabal, everything that he could have ever wanted. Ithabal came into power at really the pinnacle of Tyre's real strength and power. And not only that, but he even by his wisdom, you see Isaiah, or pardon me, Ezekiel's being a little bit satirical here and saying that you're even wiser than Daniel and no secret is hidden from you. 
by your knowledge, by your wisdom. Yeah, you've increased everything in Tyre's wealth. He's being a little bit satirical and sort of playing into Ithabal's pride there. Because the reality is, is that all of this, Satan just gave him to feed this pride that he had already instilled in his heart. Not only can Satan conform men's thoughts and hearts to be just like his, but he'll even bless them in this world with worldly stuff to really seal the deal. The saying goes that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a, it's a faithful, it's a true saying. But even more than that, money, possessions, status, popularity. All of these things corrupt. And Lucifer, full of wisdom, knows exactly what's going to keep people from ever coming to God. It's given him that pride, that original sin. I am God. I sit in the seat of God's. I will make myself like the Most High. And then making them seem like they've got it all. Satan is real. He has real kingdoms established in this world that are engaging in real spiritual warfare. He absolutely has real influence on men's lives. But lastly, my absolute favorite part of this whole study, because it can seem pretty glib, a little bit scary up until now, but the best part is God's bigger. God is absolutely bigger. Yeah, Lucifer has a lot. He was created perfect in beauty, full of wisdom. He had it all, man. Remember? Lucifer has it all. Has it all. But pick up reading with me verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. I love it. I love it. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. What about Lucifer's puppet man? The ever prideful Ithabal? Read with me verses 6 to 10. Therefore, says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain. In the heart of the seas, will you still say I am a God? In the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you, You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And historically, that's exactly what happened. Ithabal had it all. Lucifer hooked him up, gave him so much, and Ithabal really believed, I have it all. I am like God. 
Look, by the wisdom of my trade, look at my country. My kingdom is so huge. My father's never made Tyre as big as I made it. But what happened? King Nebuchadnezzar rolled in and took out Tyre like that. Historically, Nebuchadnezzar rolled in and and Babylon and they laid siege to Tyre for 13 years and literally destroyed the entire city. It was like a barren wasteland, historians say. So much for being like God. So much for sitting himself in the, in the God's throne. So much for all of his power and all of his wealth. Read with me also in verse 22 and 23. We haven't really talked about this at all in this passage, but Tyre also, uh, they had sort of like a, a sister city that they were over, and uh, their name was Sidon. And uh, God says, you know what? Like, this has mostly been so far about you, Lucifer, and you, Ithabal, you, you prince that say that you're God. But you know what? Just because of its iniquity, verse 22 and 23, and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side, and they will know that I am the Lord. You see, Sidon had been a little bit of a thorn. They were, they were sort of busters to Israel. And so God, you know, as he's just fully working and, and laying low, Ithabal, the prince of Tyre, and bringing to destruction the king of Tyre, Lucifer, He turns and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, you Sidon, yeah, you know what, you two, you're going to get wiped out too. I'm going to manifest my glory in you, and everyone is going to say, that's God. Not this guy Ithabal who ruled over Tyre and Sidon. No, that guy's gone. He's dead. The Lord is God. In the end, guys, even though Satan is real, even though he has real kingdoms established on this earth that are engaging in real spiritual warfare, and even though Lucifer can have a real effect on the hearts and lives of men, God is still bigger. God is still bigger. Satan is created. He had a definite beginning, and he will have a definite end. Even though Lucifer may have been anointed even though he may have been perfect in beauty, full of wisdom, covering over the very throne of God, he doesn't sit on the throne. Our king does. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And so family, just as James encourages us in James 4, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Our enemy is real, guys. He's prowling around, seeking like a roaring, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's good at what he does. He's good at ripping off not only 
you know, the, the heathens out there. But he's really, really, really good at ripping off the family. He's really good at saying, you know, you're a Christian and, and you claim to love Jesus, but it's okay if you sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend. It's okay if you go out and you hit the party scene as long as you just like say sorry to God afterwards. It's okay. He's really good at ripping us off, family. But in everything, remember this. In spite of his reality, in spite of the reality of his kingdoms, in spite of the reality of his influence and power and wisdom, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you because he knows that God's the king. Let's pray. Father, God, let our hearts not be like like Lucifer, the angel that you favored above all else that you hooked up, that you gave everything to, that you created full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, that you gave everything to. But he looked at himself and said, I must be pretty hot stuff. God, help us to never be like that. Help us to remember that you are more glorious than anything. That you're the king. And that we find fullness of life when we bring you glory by enjoying you fully, God. Help us to have just such hearts of submission to you, Lord. Because you're the king. We bow to you. We love you, Lord. We, we bow the knee, king. Thank you for being a good God. Help us, equip us, remind us, Lord, of the ever-present evil in this world, that we would always be fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, putting on the armor of God, and being ready to serve you whenever we need to, God. We love you, Lord. In your precious son's name, amen.